0: The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, episode 251. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, where we talk about applying high-leverage psychology in your business and life. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, licensed psychologist, private practice owner, speaker, executive coach, and consultant. I became a psychologist, to learn how to leverage psychology and help others do the same. For over a decade, I've been tracking how psychology gets in the way of smart and results-driven people. For years, I've developed frameworks and tools to help them leverage psychology instead to launch themselves forward. It's my mission to share my hard-earned lessons with you so you can launch yourself forward too. I can't wait to talk high-leverage psychology with you so you can learn to take higher leverage action today. Let's talk high-leverage psychology. If you find yourself acting impatient, frustrated, angry, in other words, not your best self, Today's episode is for you. When we struggle to show up the way we want to, when we show up in ways we're not proud of, as less than best versions of ourselves, it can be really challenging and even knock us down for a while. Today, I'm sharing the principles I use to show up as my best self more and more, regardless of whatever's going on around me. Or inside of me. It was a chilly fall day. The kind where you see brown leaves dropping off trees and being swept away by the wind. Where sweaters feel cozy inside, but standing outside in the wind makes you feel like you're hardly wearing anything. I was 11, and we were in the car headed to the library. Back when my mom used to take us regularly. I mean, it was the 90s, and the internet was still in its infancy. Plus. I was obsessed with reading books, so I was always begging my mom and dad to buy me more books. My mom's brilliant solution was monthly trips to the library. Except I finished my pile of six or eight books in less than two weeks and then pestered my parents to get more. I'm sure I was a royal pain. I annoyed them so much, but books were almost the only thing I never stopped pushing them to get me. I treasured reading that much. So there I was sitting in the car, probably the only happy person in the car, really. My brother and sister still had books to read from our last trip to the library. My parents had to convince them to bring their books and read them at the library while I got more books. I get it, I was obsessed with books, but they wanted to do something else, only I couldn't really recognize it at the time. So there I was, dumping my old pile in the return bin and running around the library like an addict looking for my next fix. Then I stumbled on a book that held all my dreams in its title, Be a Perfect Person in Three Days. It even had an exclamation point at the end. Immediately, I grabbed it, sat down, and started reading. In less than three seconds, my brother and sister were whining and complaining to my mom. They couldn't wait to leave, and now I was holding them up because I was sitting there reading. So I swiped the book, grabbed a few more, and tore it open before we even walked out of the library. In the book, the main character, whose name is Milo, stumbles on a mysterious book, a book that promises to make him perfect in three days. The author of Milo's mysterious book, Dr. K. Silverton Pinkerfish, looks strange. He's wearing a weird assortment of clothes, a clown nose, and eating a hot dog dripping ketchup on his shirt. Milo opens the cover skeptically. But as soon as he starts reading the book, Dr. Pinkerfish seems to know exactly what he's thinking. So Milo buys in, and he starts following Dr. Pinkerfish's every command. It's one of a few kids' books I still read every so often, even as an adult. In fact, I read it again this morning. Though, if we're being honest, I listened to it on audio. It's a quick read with powerful, timeless lessons that cut across time, age, and profession. But that's not why I'm sharing it with you today. Okay, okay, I'll tell you a bit more about it at the end. Which brings us to today's topic being your ideal self all the time. Even at 11, I was obsessed about being perfect, and I stayed obsessed for decades. Lately, I've been changing my thinking, and a lot of that is redefining how I think about being perfect. Now I define being perfect as being my ideal self and living my dream life in a way that's really fulfilling to me day in and day out. But if I'm being honest, it's been quite a bumpy road and not every day looks or feels that way. Here are three lessons I've learned along the way that have been instrumental to me. Number one, be clear and set and revise the definition for what it means to be my ideal self and live my dream life. Here are some things that I've done and continue to do that really are helpful. Take some time to write down goals and accomplishments. Go beyond one-time results and focus on the process that leads to the outcome. So what actions need to happen day in and day out? What it takes to show up the way that I would like to in my ideal self. The weekly, daily, even moment-to-moment actions and choices that will make sure that I'm being my best self. If you're having trouble being clear, then you could try something that I did. Go out and gather experience. Try things. Be intentional about how you show up in the world, in everyday situations and interactions with people. Watch other people around you. Put yourself around people you admire. Notice the things that they do that feel good, that draw your gratitude or admiration, even in small ways. Comparison has a use, like looking at other people's behavior and considering what about their actions you appreciate, you find meaningful, enjoyable, that even you admire. Comparison can help you recognize you want to show up and experience yourself in a similar way but it's important to be careful and be warned about comparison. Comparison can be really useful when we intentionally use it as a tool to understand the impact of different actions. Like in research that compares a medication with a placebo. It can be unhelpful and even dangerous when applied incorrectly. Like when we compare the highlights of other people's lives to the struggles and challenges of our own. Which brings us to number two. Accept and have compassion for messiness. The chaos and entropy created by forces outside of us, and sometimes inside of us, can pull us away from being our ideal selves. We don't have total control over the economy, the marketplace, our friends, family, or loved ones. I like to think that's a good thing, because to me, it means nobody else gets total control over me either. I'm sure it would feel intoxicating to have that kind of control at first, but I don't really want godlike power. And control. I think I would actually get very bored very fast. We often don't have total control even over ourselves. I'm aware I can't always control when I feel hungry or control what my body needs or when it performs its best or worst. If I could control that, I might, you know, make it so that I only need half an hour of sleep or two hours of sleep a night instead of seven or eight. We don't get to choose when we get sick. One thing I've learned is that I can anticipate my needs and organize my life better around them. Setting and following a schedule, making decisions in advance, aligning my actions with my goals, taking time to record, consider, and check how well my habits and my actions meet my needs, and really thinking about how to maximize meeting those needs to optimize my body's performance. We also sometimes have unhelpful reactions, like when we get triggered by something that's going on and respond in less than perfect ways. Sometimes I don't respond in the way I ideally want to, particularly when it comes to other people, my emotions, thoughts, challenges, when something really shakes me up. Research has shown that self compassion and curiosity are key to growth, fulfillment, and happiness. I've learned to be willing to accept and lean into tough moments with kindness, but without compromise. And I found that to be tremendously empowering. Instead of disconnecting and distancing from parts of myself, others, tough situations, I lean in. I work really hard to stay connected in the face of those tough moments. In that space, I found an opportunity opens up to be my best self. Number three, I found it really useful to work on recognizing and lowering my tolerance for acting other than my ideal self. Now, I know what you're thinking. This sounds like the opposite of self-compassion and acceptance. And lowering your tolerance isn't usually considered a virtue, at least not most of the time. Here's the way I've come to think about and understand it. Self-compassion and acceptance are about becoming comfortable confronting reality. Being able to see myself as fallible, not to distract or push those thoughts away, but be gentle and soft with myself in those moments. Being soft with myself when reality clashes with my ideal isn't the same as giving up on that ideal. It comes back to kindness without compromise. The harder you are on yourself, the more you're going to expect harshness, especially when reality clashes with your ideal self, which in turn might incentivize you to stick your head in the sand and ignore it. So I've learned to be gentle with myself. It helps me become more ready and willing to notice when I'm not embodying my best self. Only from that place can I get a clear look at how my actions are misaligned with my ideal self. And that way, I can become more aware of and confront myself when I'm slipping up. I found that the longer we ignore it, the more we let ourselves slide further away. It's a recipe to move further away from our ideal selves before we finally bring ourselves back to it. Here's a quick analogy. Imagine your ideal self is a dead center pin on a target. Around that pin is a rubber band. Now imagine sticking your finger in that rubber band and stretching it out away from the pin. Further away from dead center. How big and firmly stuck to dead center is your pin? That's clarity on your ideal self and placing high value on being that way. When you lose clarity, that pin can bend, And when you don't place a high value on it or you let it slide, it can come out of the target and even leave you aimless. How far do you stretch the rubber band before it pulls your finger back? That's the length of time and distance you allow yourself to deviate from your ideal self. The less attuned you are to being pulled away from your ideal self, the further you may find yourself from how you want to be. Self-compassion and acceptance are really powerful tools here. They support your awareness and not letting yourself get pulled to the breaking point before snapping back. Now, how small is the rubber band loop? The smaller the rubber band is, the closer it's going to pull your finger back when it's stretched to its limit. That's your tolerance for deviating from your ideal self. The more tolerance you have, the bigger your rubber band is, and the more you'll accept that's outside of your ideal self. And Sometimes, even when you're pulling yourself back, the more distant you might still find yourself from that ideal. Being clear and firm on what my ideal self looks like and bringing my best self to any situation is not 100% reality. Sometimes when I feel tired, hungry, or triggered by something, I show up in ways I'm not proud of. Sometimes I get thrown off. Sometimes I have a bad night of sleep that I couldn't control. Or sometimes something might inexplicably throw me off balance. What I am proud of is slowing down and quickly coming back to my pin. Getting clear on how I want to perceive, experience, and act in a given situation. I've grown to appreciate how fast I can recognize and acknowledge when I'm not being my ideal self. When I'm out of balance, which lets me both be kind and firm with myself about how I'm not living the way I want to, shortening the rubber band so I can come back faster to being my ideal self. In the long term, two, three, five decades from now, I'm imagining that I'll stay very close to dead center as I continue to work on it. Instead of being pulled and stretched far away for a long time, I'm going to bounce back faster and stay in target and on target for longer. And you can too. Oh, and Milo, he learned some really important lessons in very silly ways. Like how to overcome fear and embarrassment, delay gratification, and laugh when mistakes happen or life gets hard but you might have to read the book to learn how he learns those lessons. I know I'll be reading it again soon. And on that note, I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you learned something valuable today, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more smart, High-performing, results-driven people like you, the ability to learn and apply high-leverage psychology to your business and life. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast is produced by Dr. Yishai and Podtech. Music by www.purple-planet.com. Dr. Yishai is a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with the guest or listener. The information contained in this publication is for general informational purposes only and shall not be relied on or construed as coaching advice or therapy. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope today's episode fulfilled my mission to help you leverage psychology better in your business and life.